Okay, ladies and gentlemen, it's time to put the shades on, fasten your seatbelt, and mash the gas pedal, because it's time for Automation Avenue, a podcast for retail and financial leaders looking for ways to automate and accelerate their businesses. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Automation Avenue podcast, episode eight. And I am uh, I am very excited today. We are going to be talking uh, current retail banking trends with a good friend of mine, Lisa Ayers. She has spent uh, over 30 years with a large tier one bank here in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, as well as uh, most recently having spent a few years with kind of a growing $2 billion community bank. So I uh, thought she would be great uh, for us and to talk about kind of the changing retail experience and what's going on out in the market and, and who better to get an opinion from than an expert on the topic. So Lisa, w- welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you. Thanks, Sean. I am really excited to be here. Um, retail banking is something that's near and dear to my heart, and I've seen all types of changes in the past. So I'm excited to talk about what, what's coming up next. Awesome. So um, just before we get into it, you know, it, it's been some exciting growth here at, at QDS, and um, you know, we've now got this podcast going going out across the world. I mean, that's part of the power of the internet. We now have. Uh, listeners in Australia as well as Russia. I have to give a shout out to my my boy uh, Victor over in Russia, who's been great to connect with, and I appreciate his feedback. Um, as well as a, a lot of countries in Europe that are following our content, so that's been very exciting. Again, if there are topics you would like us to cover, uh, feel free to email into podcast at qualitydatasystems.com and we'd be delighted to see if we could tackle that topic for you. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at QDS underscore Lion. We would love to connect with you. Uh, I do all of our Twitter posting myself, so it is a person. It's not a, uh, a bot, so to speak. So we would love to uh, connect with you. But let's get into what we're here for. I, I had trouble sleeping last night because I was excited about this topic. And uh, so Lisa, you know, we talk a lot about branch of the future and branch transformation and what's going on with the, the banking market and how quickly uh, the market is changing. So in your opinion, how do you think the branch experience is changing uh, today? Well, you know, it's interesting. People have talked for a while about, well, the brick and mortar branch is going away. Everyone wants to use the internet and online banking. And what I'll tell you is there are always reasons and there are always customers that do want to use the branch. Um, I think as we realize how busy everyone is, one of the main things is banking needs to be convenient so one day someone may want to go into a branch and talk to someone and the next day they may want to do online banking Um, the thing that differentiates i would say a retail bank is the the experience the customer has when they walk in so um, i'm just passionate about that even though i was in operations for the majority of my career i think operations and customer experience and customer service are closely linked Um, you know, I think we can look at it as kind of a place to to bring the community together. And so it's not just a place where you run in and you cash a check. It may be that you sit down and have a cup of coffee with the small business owner down the street. Um, it may be that the banker becomes such a valuable tool for the customer that if they need a CPA, they ask their banker, you know, do you know a good CPA? And that just develops community. And so I think... Um, even for a large bank, I think the branch itself has to focus on the small community that they're uh, serving. 
Absolutely. And, you know, so a lot of the buzz in the market is that, that maybe some of the the banking products can be viewed as commodities. You know, you've got community banks that want to portray that they have all the same products that the large banks have. And, and when we really hone in on that customer experience, you know, part of this branch transformation concept is really getting to focus on revenue generation, cross-selling, which is you know, sometimes a challenge for these community institutions. Maybe they've had these tellers there that have been there 20 years and, and they're great relationship builders, but, you know, you start pushing a little bit of a sales culture and, you know, less transaction focus and some of them can get a little uncomfortable. So what what are your thoughts kind of on that trend of, uh, of revenue generation and cross-selling really being the, the heartbeat of the branch and, and how can you get your employees underneath you as a retail banker to really engage and match what your financial institution is trying to do from a goals perspective? Yeah, that's a great question and a very good observation. And I would say um, the main thing is the leadership has to really communicate to the to the branch um, teammates and to everyone, all the employees in the bank, what are the goals and why do we have these goals? You know, explain it to people. When you tell them the whys behind things, it really helps to cement the idea. Um, and I also think as far as a compensation plan, you need to compensate your employees for selling or for, for doing the right thing for the customer. So you don't want to be at... Um, at odds with your incenting for car loans, but maybe somebody doesn't need a car loan, but the banker feels like they need to force it down someone's throat. Um, the interesting thing in a personal experience that I'll share is, you know, I worked at the large institution that you spoke about, and so I still have um, a lot of my relationship there. I needed a car loan, and so I called my banker, and he said to me, you know what, instead of coming here and filling out the paperwork and doing this, that, and the other, go to the dealer. You'll, they'll ask you how much you make, you'll sign on the dotted line, and you'll drive out with the car. So that was revenue out of his pocket because he didn't get credit for that car loan. However, in my mind, I was like, wow, that is really cool. So I think from a cross-selling perspective, when you take care of the customer and you do the right thing, even if it means referring the business somewhere else, that customer will really appreciate that. And then they'll refer other business to you they'll um, they'll feel like you really have their best interest in mind. And so you develop a trusting relationship, which I think is critical. Um, and yeah, then to, to piggyback on that, yeah. so I think um, there's a lot of negative sentiment out there since right. the, the fall. You have these quote-unquote evil banks that are out there, and you know it was very public and, and what was going on with Wall Street and that. So it's, it's very interesting to hear that uh, and talk about trust. So I, I, I think... Once that trust is really established with that customer, that's what's going to bring them back to that location or even that banker specifically to, to grow that business. So having their interest at heart may not be a short-term gain, but right. I think the key is kind of in that customer acquisition is is also that customer retention for a long time because the multitude of choices has certainly grown out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think from you know a teller perspective, I know you had mentioned a lot of tellers find it a little difficult to become quote unquote a salesperson, but it's just, you know, inquiring as to how your customer's doing and you may realize that their daughter's going away to college and they might need a loan. So it's not a hard sell. It's just more of a conversation and, and trying to find out what's important to your customer. So, you know, obviously we focus a lot here on this podcast about technology, and I, I wanted to really discuss how, how do you think 
some of the newer technology for the branch plays a factor in that customer experience. Things like cash recyclers, digital signage, iPads, uh, a lot of these things that you've implemented at, at your locations. What role do you think that plays in facilitating really those conversations? Well, I would think, um, you know, it streamlines the transaction. So if you come in and I have a very easy process um, using automation to complete the transaction, I can focus on you and we can talk about how's your baby doing and how's your wife. And, I'm, you know, the technology and, and the software, et cetera, is kind of taking over and doing things um, behind the scenes almost. So it makes it so much more streamlined. I also, um, on the iPad question, you know, we had a lot of customers that would come in and just kind of doodle on the iPad and maybe they were on the internet and that's fine, but they also have the opportunity to look at the products and services that are offered in a non-pressure environment. So they can just say, well, I wonder what this is. And then if they have questions, the banker's available and the banker certainly can pick up where the technology can't answer those questions for them. So almost a bit of uh, a piece of a self-service model and you know when when we talk about uh, the marketing effort that we do it here at QDS is to really educate the masses and let them make a good business decision or a decision on what they want to do it sounds like that is part of a strategy is to say you know we're not going to pressure sale you like a like maybe a car dealership right. would but we're going to lay that information at your disposal and should you find something that interests you or and, and we have that banker there available to assist you so that's I think that's great. So I think one of the struggles that we have in our market and you know one of the reasons I wanted to bring this up was there there are some folks out there that are still struggling to understand some of the drivers for change. So I, I wanted to get your opinion on on what you would say to them. Think about uh, some of these community focused banks and, and maybe they've got a high market share in their little community or they've got an aging customer base. You know, how are they going to grow? How can they engage a different customer? Why should they care about change? You know, this has worked for them for 50 or 100 years. What do you say to these folks who are maybe like, ah, this, maybe this whole transformation thing isn't really for me? Right. Um, and that's, again, a great point. And it all gets back to trust and, and relationships. So you may have an aging population, aging customer base. Um, those folks are very susceptible to, you know, um, to fraud and things that they're not aware of. And so I think the bankers can use the technology to educate those customers and try to explain to them why, why do I need to sign maybe um, my signature on this signature pad as opposed to signing a hard copy signature card like I used to do. And I think it's a bit of education um, for the customers. I also think if you you don't know what that elderly customer's grandchildren do. Maybe they're doctors. Maybe, you know, if you treat their grandmother right, then they're going to think, okay, this is a great place for me to bank, and I appreciate what you're doing for my, um, for my relatives. So you just never know um, where you can get the next piece of business, how it interacts, how it relates. Um, I also think you need to have technology because the younger people that are coming out of college or that are still in college, that's what they're looking for. They want it to be easy. They don't use the branch as much. They may come in and they may have questions. They may come in to assist one of their um, older relatives, but 
they need the technology or, or you're not going to be even an option for them. Yeah, I know there's been a lot of discussion about the millennial as the customer and what do they want. And a lot of the research has shown that they're actually very conservative and they are looking for that advice. So again, if I'm if I'm building a, a revenue-based model and I, I want to give good, sound financial advice, and if I have done a good job of putting them as the customer first, then I think I can really have that customer for life because you know, they, they do a lot of research on their phones and their devices. So right. w- when they come in, they're typically prepared, but you know, they're still young. They still need advice to, about what to do with their money. Maybe they don't need to buy a car just yet because they live two miles from work and they could mm-hmm. take another mode of transportation. So I think that again, goes back to, if you have the customer at the centerpiece of the relationship, you know, I, I think that would be a great way to, to market to the millennials. So uh, one of your strengths and passions as I've gotten to know you is, is really to build a, a team environment. So if, if I'm a leader listening to this podcast, you know what, what should I do as a top leader to set up this change that I need to go through? How do I set this up for success uh, with my team at my location? You know, you're right, Sean. Team building and, and just managing and leading people and seeing them grow and develop is one of my passions. I just, I get so much satisfaction out of that. Um, and I think it's critical that you actually sit down with people and get to know them as people. They're not a number. They're not a position. They are people. And you want to know, you know, what drives you? What, what excites you day to day? What are your aspirations and goals here at work? What do you do outside of work that you enjoy? Um, I think that people, unfortunately, feel like that's um, an unusual approach. When I've taken over new teams, especially recently, and I've sat down with each individual, even though you know it's not easy to do, but you sit down with 10 people for 30 minutes at a time, and those people really appreciate that. And they know that you have their best interest in mind, which enables them to want to do the right thing for the company. I mean, it's just, it, it seems to me like it's common sense. Unfortunately, um, as we as we look for the almighty dollar and where we're gonna get our next profit, um, that come t- sometimes that will not um, come to pass. So I've always thought, you know, let's sit down and talk about what are your concerns, if you have concerns with the change, and try to just help them diffuse those. So it's about having an open door policy. It's about just being honest and um, and explaining to them why the changes are being made. I see here one of your points that we've got here in the notes is, is talking about asking them for input. And I, right. I think one of the things we talk about is is having the buy-in from, you know, we, we do that here at QDS as well as to really try to gauge input from our frontline employees. So I think a lot of senior level executives forget sometimes how important those frontline employees are and how close they are to the customer relationship. So, so talk a little bit about about that and, and how that can be uh, important as you go through these changes. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, thanks for for bringing that up. You know, um, in my past. I had made a change, so I'm sitting up in this big tower in downtown Charlotte, and I'd made a change on how my team conducted their business. And then I would go out and I would actually spend time with them in the field and see how things were going. One of the changes I made, um, one of the employees said to me, do you realize that that's now taking us eight hours to do? And I was dumbfounded. I said, what? And I said, why didn't you tell me? And they said, well, you know, we didn't know. And I said, absolutely let me know. So to your point, 
the higher up you get in an organization, the more removed you get from the real world. And if you go to the people that are doing the work at the front lines, they are the ones that have the best ideas about how to improve things or how to streamline. So um, yes, I think that it's important to get the feedback. It's also important to close the loop. If you don't use the feedback for some reason, then it's important to explain to the employee why so that they feel like they were heard. Absolutely. So um, I, I think, you know, and certainly in times of change, it can always be important to get everyone's feedback. And, and typically, if you have an open door policy, those, those people are going to magically step up. And then the great part of that is then they own it. They feel like they've right. been a part of that. And if that's the idea that comes to pass and you find that to be a great idea, then magically that's going to permeate itself throughout the organizations. Well, that was a really great idea, and they're going to be that much harder behind it as opposed to, oh, yeah, this is the the idea of the month from the ivory tower. We'll, right. we'll watch this crash and burn. So I think that's really important. Yeah, and if you give credit, you know, make sure people know that Sean Farrell's the one that had this idea so that their peers think, oh, wow, so maybe they are going to listen to us. So, yes, it's important to give credit as well. Yeah, I don't really have many good ideas no, here. Really? I just, I, just yeah. I, I hire people that have good ideas, and then I take all their credit. There you go. I doubt that. I'm kidding. But uh, so one of the other topics that uh, has come up recently, certainly in the news as as well, is is kind of this CRA. And and what is CRA and and what does that matter to to community institutions? So uh, being that we have listeners worldwide, I wanted to see if you would go ahead and define for us, you know, what is the CRA? Why do banks need to be careful about this? And even seeing uh, a lot of these kind of larger regional banks and some of the national banks have gotten themselves uh, uh, a little bit of a wrist slap uh, on this. What, what, what is the CRA and, and what does it matter? Yes, um, CRA is a, it's a very good regulation and it's very important. It's, it stands for the Community Reinvestment Act. So this was put in place um, years ago, and the purpose of it was to help um, meet the needs of borrowers in all segments of the communities. So if you're in a low-income community, if you're in a moderate-income community, um, there were situations years ago where people were discriminated against and they were unable to get loans or they were unable to be serviced by a bank. So the Community Reinvestment Act was put into place. You're, you're telling me a bank would only want to bank the people that everyone else wants to I bank? I know. And, and maybe not have to bank uh, the folks that are kind of, could be potentially a, a pain for them to have to bank? That's uh, that's interesting. So how, how do the regulators play a part in this? And uh, you know what what can really be the cause of that? And, and what, what kind of a pain in the butt can that be for yeah. uh, a financial institution if the regulators are kind of cracking down on this? Well, actually, um, it can have very severe repercussions um, if you don't. The regulators gather their information. They do a CRA exam, and they use this to determine, um, are they going to approve an application for you for a new branch in a, an upper affluent area? Are they going to allow you to acquire another bank or merge with another bank? So, you know, they want fairness to uh, permeate throughout the organization so that, um, you know, everyone has a fair chance at having a bank in their community. So we obviously know that branches can be expensive and those those old brick and mortar branches may be, you know, million and a half, two million bucks. So that, that may not be very uh, effective for me to do as a financial institution. So I wanted to get your thoughts on maybe how some of these new self-service and video technologies that are out in the market with 
would that be a way to serve that base and still kind of maintain compliance and keep those regulators happy, but do it at a much lower cost basis, but still provide a, a great service, particularly to a, a segment that may be hard to service otherwise or unprofitable with a, a, a full service branch, if you will? Yeah, I think that that is that technology is super, and I think it really can help um, serve some of these purposes. So, for example, you can put up a video kiosk slash ATM um, that, that's able to service customers. You can have a teller that may be situated in another um, location. It could be a headquarters building. It could be another branch. So when the customer approaches, they're able to talk to someone and feel like they're being served by a teller. However, to your point, it certainly cuts down on the cost of a brick and mortar branch and it allows the folks and the customers and consumers in that low to moderate income um, community be serviced the same as any other person. You know, in some situations, unfortunately, some low income communities are also um, high crime. And so it also protects the bank teller from, you know, a high robbery rate or that type of thing. So there's a benefit from the um, com the community situation as well as from the teller and the bank situation. That's an interesting point. I, I hadn't even thought about security, but having a device that's through a wall and there's really no staff there that, that keeps uh, your staff safe while still allowing you to service a, a wider base. I mean, we, we talk to customers all the time about the, the impacts of technology like this and deposit automation ATMs to where maybe you take a market that you can only afford to have one full service branch, but if, if you can strategically locate devices out in that market, you can have a, a much bigger brand presence than, you know, especially in a competitive market like Charlotte, right? I mean, the, right. there are a lot of people that are trying to build a presence here because it's a, a thriving economy. So how how can I spend my money right to kind of make the, the largest presence possible without having to build uh, a branch on expensive real estate and exactly. in, in high-end markets in Charlotte? So. Mm -hmm. Uh, as we wrap up here, um, you know, this, this is great stuff. Um, what is the most important thing I need to start thinking about if, if I am a C-level executive at a, a community or regional bank? If, if I'm heading into 2015 and, you know, I've probably done my strategic retreat already, but what, what do I really need to think about? If, what do I need to take away from this podcast? Is what do I need to be thinking about for the next one, two, or three years about what I can do with my institution? I really think it's all about differentiation. So as an executive, it's your responsibility to strategically think about how am I going to differentiate myself from my competitors. Um, from a competitor, what I mean is, you know, I have a choice on where I work. I have a choice on where I bank. So it's about making the employee experience just as much of a focus as the customer experience. Um, products, as you mentioned before, are a commodity. So how am I going to make people feel like I'm really there to do the right thing for them, for their families, for the community in general? So becoming engaged in the community, um, getting out there, making sure that integrity is of the utmost importance. Um, I know a lot of young people these days would even say to me, I won't work for that company because I've heard that the executives don't have integrity. So it's kind of refreshing that it's back to basics, um, but it's all about differentiation and doing the right thing in the way you would want to be treated. I think that's a great point. I mean, we know that there are 
more choices coming. I mean, they've done surveys now where if, if Google or Amazon or Apple offered banking services, a lot of the younger folks would trust them because they've had that good experience. So I think uh, to piggyback on your point, if, if I'm a C-level executive, I really need to think about what is my branch experience like and how how can I differentiate myself? You know, one of the comments we get most is, well, what what makes you different than the community bank across right. the street? It's our our people and you know it, we always get the same answer it's our service and our people well right. what are you really doing as an executive to make that experience special and different than those across the street if you've got great people how do you leverage those great people can you can you give them greater tasks does uh, going to a universal staff model uh, elevate some of those people from just being tellers to actually a, mm -hmm. a revenue producer for the company and gives them kind of a career path. So I think that's an important thing to look at is what what am I doing about my branch experience? How can I reduce my costs? But how, how can I make my employees be engaged? And then how can I engage uh, our customer base? So yeah, I think giving the, the employees the flexibility to go out and, and be involved in the community. We had a branch manager that actually um, helped with a local um, garden that was a community garden. And the amount of goodwill that that brought was amazing. So, right, giving them flexibility, and um, I think that's what everyone's looking for. Awesome. Well, thank you all for tuning in again. Um, we are uh, excited about the growth of this podcast, and hopefully you all are getting a lot of value out of this. Lisa, thank you very much for being here. That was a, that was a great job. So until next time, uh, again, anything you would like us to cover or any questions, please feel free to email us at podcast at qualitydatasystems.com or visit our education center at blog.qualitydatasystems.com. Until next time, this is Sean Farrell signing off. Thank you.